everyone. Good morning. Happy Friday. Excuse my professional appearance this morning. I'm doing this to be able to offer some information for those that are interested in listening to this video, which is chapter one of the book, The Poisoned Needle. I'm hoping that I will have time and people will be interested in following me through the series. I believe that there are 10 chapters. So without further ado, uh, The Poison Needle. It's called uh, The Poison Needle by Eleanor McBean, 1974, which is a new edition. It looks like this book was written uh, before then, uh, perhaps in 1956 or of that nature. Um, but there's tremendous information in here. You guys will find it of tremendous benefit. And this is why I feel like it's important to be able to, um, for me to get this for you. The, um, the book I, I looked at on Amazon um, is about $300. Um, this book right here um, is $291. Uh, there is a PDF available. Uh, you can type in the poisoned needle PDF uh, by Eleanor McBean and it will come up. So uh, this morning is chapter one, the poison needle. Truth wears no mask, seeks neither place nor applause, bows to no human shrine. She only asks a hearing. The increasing flood of evidence against vaccination and the growing demand for the unsuppressed facts about the touchy subject have literally forced this book into being. This is in the 50s, right? It's going to seem like it's been written today. As this work has progressed and the extensive research has been carried on to trace down and organize the material for this manuscript, other valuable and long concealed records that I had not expected have come into my hands as if there is some unseen power. It is to be hoped that the information contained within these pages will help to sweep away the tragic errors that cloud the minds of the people, as well as the physicians. It is urgent that the living words of truth or some other force be applied to abolish that deadly weapon, the poisoned needle which has been a menacing roadblock standing in the way of progress in the healing field for these many years. Vaccination and the false germ theory upon which it is hinged has led mankind far astray and has severed the fragile thread that offered medical theory and practice a hope of becoming a science. Under the sway of our present degenerative medical methods of health of our people has declined to the lowest point in history. In 1955, surveys showed that over 90% of our population is below par mentally and physically. According to life insurance records, army reports, hospital statements, government statistics, and physical examinations for marriage certificates and employment, etc., it is revealed that there is hardly one normal, healthy person in 100. The Cancer Foundation states that one out of every four is marked for cancer. The figures on heart trouble are even worse than that, and the other killer diseases come in for their toll. Practically all of the rest of the people have symptoms of less serious diseases, these symptoms being headaches, constipation, weak eyes, dental caries, colds, pain, 
stomach trouble, etc. Most if not all diseases are avoidable and curable at a certain stage, but not under the deceptive medical method of poisoning the well and the sick with the vaccines and drugs and mutilating them with unnecessary operations. When socialized medicine was threatening, a meeting of medical officials was called to discuss just how many and which operations would really be necessary if there was no profit in it. It was decided that only 3% would be considered essential under those conditions. This information came from a medical student whose instructor had attended the meeting. Where have the great strides of medical science taken us? After a glance at the medical records covering the past 70 years of what is boastfully called our great strides of medical science, we can hardly help wondering if those seven league strides have been in reverse because there has been a marked decline in our nation's health and a shocking increase in the serious killer diseases during these very years. The acute diseases that were supposed to have been conquered by vaccination have only been masked and renamed to save face or suppressed until the retained poisons corroded the internal organs and developed into dangerous chronic diseases. The following table gives us an idea of what our present faulty methods are doing to our race. Now this is written in 1956, right? Updated in 1974. The statistics are these. Increase in killer diseases during the past 70 years. Insanity increased 400%. Cancer increased 308%. Anemia increased 300%. Epilepsy increased 397%. Bright's disease increased 65%. Heart disease increased 179%. Diabetes increased 1800% in spite of or because of insulin. And polio increased 680%. Never in the history of this country have preventable diseases flourished with such wild abandon continuously being fed by the very drugs and commercialized irritants that set them into operation in the first place. Dr. Alexis Carroll of the Rockefeller Institute stated, Scientific Monthly, July, 20, July 1925, although the adult individual today has much less chance of dying from smallpox, cholera, and typhoid than he had 50 years ago, he surely has more prospect of being tortured by some form of cancer afflicted with slow diseases of the kidneys or the circulatory apparatus or the endocrine glands and of going insane. Modern medicine protects him, attempts to, against infections which kill rapidly but leaves him exposed to the slower and more cruel diseases. Amy R Annie Riley Hale in the medical voodoo speaks of medicine as a system of healing which after five thousand years of trial and error is describing itself as a science in the making whose proudest showing to date is that it enabled the race to swap smallpox for cancer and typhoid fever for diabetes and insanity may still be worthy of the credence and patronage by its devoted followers but what justification can there be for putting the whole power of the government back on such a system and the public treasury at its disposal to spread misleading propaganda 
about its own peculiar doctrines and methods to force them on the helpless. Although there are a number of far more successful and, and efficient systems of healing in this country, the medical system is the only one that gets the endorsement and support from the government. All of our tax-supported departments of health, hospitals, and institutions are under the domination of medical personnel. In spite of the financial support, public confidence, and full-scale experimentation, and the testing of all of their methods and theories, the medical school of healing has utterly failed to control any of the killer diseases and doesn't have a sure cure, even one for the most mild disease. Smallpox and other epidemics were largely controlled by improvements in sanitation and nutrition years before vaccination became popularized. Yet a tremendous sum of money is poured into the medical coffers every year with no accounting made for its use and no benefits received. Isn't it time that the squandering of public funds be stopped and for the better qualified practitioners to be given a chance to salvage the wreckage before it's too late? The Inside Story After half a century of medical practice, Dr. John Tilden made the following observation regarding the inadequate medical procedures. Ability to cure has not kept pace with diagnosis, and today we behold the scientific paradox of skilled physicians sometimes knowing exactly what disease the patient is suffering with, but unable to cure the disease. Ability to diagnose, but impotence in curing is the true status of scientific medicine. Clinicians are floundering about in a sea of speculation and uncertainty concerning the cause and cure, and the best of them declare that autopsies prove that almost half of their diagnoses are wrong. Dr. Charles Mayo in the radio broadcast stated that at their clinic, autopsies showed that they get only 20% of the diagnosis right. Every part of the body is represented by a specialist. The irony of all this professional perfection is summed up in a few words, namely diagnosis in an elaborate system of summing up effects without the scintilla of knowledge of cause and treatment in a stupendous scheme of palliation and braggadocio concerning immunization. But the question will not down. How is a disease to be prevented or cured when the cause is unknown? All 400 or more so-called dangerous diseases are nothing more than expressions of our general systematic derangement, states which I am pleased to name toxemia or healing crisis. Toxophenia is a state of body poisoning, self-generated or induced by vaccine serums, drugs, or other poisons. This is taken from Philosophy of Health by Tilden. R.T. Troll, M.D., was another doctor who gave medical method a long and thorough trial before abandoning it in failure. He turned to nature in its simplicity and upon its sound basic laws of healing he brought about miracles of recovery from all diseases. After trying to justify the inconsistencies of medical theory, he had this to say. Why has not success in treating disease kept pace with the extraordinary progress of knowledge of the other sciences? The answer is ready. A successful practice of the healing art must be based upon the laws of life, the economy of vitality, 
The only foundation, therefore, of a true healing is correct physiological principles. And here is precisely where the whole orthodox medical system of the present day fails. Utterly and totally fails. It has no physiological or biological science upon which to truly practice this healing art. These are strong words coming from medical doctors who know the system thoroughly. Medical Medicine is a paying game, financially speaking, and for successful practitioners to leave it for the sake of honesty, integrity, and idealism indicates that these cherished qualities are lacking in this branch of business. It is this lack of correct physiological and biological principles that has enabled the medical profession to foist such unscientific delusion as vaccine on the public. Now remember, this was written in the 1950s, and it sounds like it's been written today. Vaccination is based on false premise. The false germ theory of the disease upon which vaccination is based has been the blind leader of the blind that has dragged the medical system and the impressionable public deeper into the morass of confusion and disease. The germ theory is discussed at length in the chapter titled On Friendly Terms with Germs in Book 2. However, our present concern in this chapter is merely to point out the instability of the nebulous theory of antibodies, which is the main prop that holds up the dead corpse of a vaccine. In Volume 6 of The Hygienic System, Dr. Herbert M. Shelton brings into sharper focus this tricky subject of antibodies. These elusive little nothings have fooled the people and served the uses of the doctors, but have vanished into theory when subjected to the clear light of scientific investigation. Dr. Shelton writes, the whole of the modern medical practice of vaccine serum and antitoxin therapy is based upon the supposition that the body manufactures substances called antitoxins, antibodies, antigens, etc., which are capable of meeting and destroying toxins that get into the body. The idea seems to be sound, although it is possible that the work of destroying such toxins is that of the detoxification carried on by the liver and the lymph glands, etc. Antitoxins and antibodies and antigens, etc. have never been isolated. They have only been assumed. While the practice based upon their assumed existence has been both a failure and a disaster. However, this may not be due to their non-existence. If they exist, it is impossible to separate them from the proteins of the animal's blood in making vaccines, and these proteins, when injected directly into the body of another animal or human being, are very poisonous. Besides this, there is no evidence that the antitoxins of one species can be made use by another species. Where vaccines are employed, it constitutes an introduction of actual disease matter into the blood. That is, the supposed causative germs or some product of the disease is introduced into the body. The consequences are often terrible and the real benefits are never observed. It is the hypothesis that the body manufactures antitoxins, antibodies, etc. is correct and it still remains to be proven that the body ever manufactures these greatly in excess of the need for them. It cannot be shown that free antitoxin, antibodies, etc 
are suspended in the blood serum and can therefore be transferred to another animal in sufficient quantities to be of use to the receiving animal. In keeping with the general law of life, it is very probable that the body does manufacture an excess of antibodies, but it cannot be shown that it retains these after the need for them has ceased. On the contrary, in keeping with another general law of life, it is very probable that the body begins to get rid of them the very instant the need for them ceases. If they exist, they are chemical substances produced to meet an emergency and will cast out as soon as the emergency ceases to exist. The renowned Dr. Antoine Bichamp, one of the world's foremost scientists and bacteriologists, observed that the microorganisms that are ordinarily germs evolve out of decaying cells that they help build and take part in the decomposing of an ever-changing life substance to help deform it into a material unusable again by nature. Thus, when germs are found within a sick body, it is not that they entered from outside and caused the disease. It is because they develop from the decaying cells within the body and have an important part to play in helping to handle the waste and destruction brought about by serums, drugs, and other poisons forced upon the body from without. Perhaps our modern bacteriologists have seen the activity of these microzymas and jumped to the conclusion that they are antibodies fighting disease and that they, the doctors, must inject more of them into the body by way of vaccines. But anyone with common sense and reasoning can see that this would only interfere and disrupt the well-organized efforts of nature. This is the reason why vaccination has taken such a heavy toll in the lives and has produced such widespread disease. Nature makes no mistakes and violates no laws. She is uniformly governed by fixed principles and all of her actions harmonize with the laws that govern these actions. The best, indeed the only method of promoting individual and public health is to teach people the laws of nature and thus teach them how to preserve their health. Immunization programs are futile and are based on the delusions that the law of cause and effect can be annulled. Vaccines and serums are employed as substitutes for right living. They are intended to supplant obedience to the laws of life. Such programs are slaps in the face of law and order. Belief in immunization is a form of delusional insanity. And that was written in The Principles of Natural Healing, page 478 by Shelton. Vaccination lowers resistance and invites disease. Dr. J.W. Hodge had considerable experience with vaccination before he denounced it and wrote a book on his collected data. In his book, The Vaccination Superstition, page 41, he states, after a thorough investigation of most authentic records and facts in harmony with the physician's daily observations and experiences, the conclusion is drawn that instead of protecting its subjects from contagion of smallpox, vaccination actually renders them more susceptible to it. Vaccination is the implantation of disease that is the admitted purpose. Health is the ideal state to be sought, not disease. Every pathogenic disturbance 
in the infected organism wastes and lowers the vital powers and thus diminishes its natural resisting capacity. This fact is well known and so universally conceded that it seems superfluous to cite authorities. Nevertheless, I shall mention one. The International Textbook of Surgery, Volume 1, page 263, is authority for the following statement. Persons weakened by disease or worn out by excessive labor yield more readily to infection than healthy individuals. If this is true, it explains why the various epidemics, smallpox, always attacks the vaccinated first, and why these diseases continue to infest the civilized world when its allied, unvaccinated, filth diseases have disappeared for the advance of civilization through the good offices of sanitation, hygiene, and improved nutrition. Summarizing the case against vaccination. We're almost done with chapter one. Dr. Hodge continues, after a careful consideration of the history of vaccination gleaned from an impartial and comprehensive study of vital statistics and pertinent data from every reliable source, and after an experience derived from having vaccinated 3,000 subjects, I am firmly convinced that vaccination can be shown to have any logical relation to the diminution of the cases of smallpox and number one that the practice of vaccination has been the means of disseminating some of the most fatal and loathsome diseases such as leprosy paralysis cancer syphilis tetanus and tuberculosis two the vaccination is not only useless but positively injurious, instead of protecting its subjects from contagion of smallpox, it actually renders them more susceptible to it by depressing the vital power and diminishing natural resistance. Number three, that immunity from all diseases is to be realized through the attainment of health, not through the propagation of disease. Number four, that it is never necessary to set up one disease in a healthy organism to protect against another that such procedure is appalling violation of the basic principles of hygiene and sanitary science. Number five, that the performance of the vaccine operations in the very nature of the case violates the cardinal precepts of modern aseptic surgery, the aim of which is to exclude the products of disease from the organism and never, never to introduce them. Number six, that there is no evidence worthy of the name on record to prove that vaccination either prevents or mitigates smallpox. Number seven, that many healthy children have died from the effects of the vaccination. Eight, that millions of vaccinated people have died of confluent smallpox while having the plainest vaccine scars on their bodies. Number nine, the smallpox epidemics invariably attack the vaccinated first. Number 10. The smallpox follows closely upon the flagrant violation of the laws of health, hygiene, and sanitation. Number 11. That the occurrence of all great epidemics of smallpox have coincided with periods of sanitary neglect. 
number 12, that cowpox and venereal pox have much in common. Number 13, that the analogy between the manifestations of vaccination and those of syphilis is so close that several of the most eminent pathologists of the world regard cowpox as a modified form of syphilis. 14. That the so-called spontaneous cowpox is a myth. That cowpox is a disorder, not natural to a cow that it never occurs in bulls or steers, nor the young heifers that have ever been milked, that it is a disease of milk cows which has been communicated to them from sores and hands of milkers who are suffering from syphilis. 15. That the serious killer diseases such as cancer, syphilis, heart trouble, polio, tuberculosis, etc. will never be eliminated as long as blood pollution through vaccination is continued. Number 16, that the community that has sanitary surroundings, a pure water supply, wholesome food, good health, and freedom from blood poisoning effects of vaccination need to have no fear of smallpox or any other disease. 17, that no man can truly be said to be susceptible to a contagion of smallpox or to that of any other disease so long as he is in a state of perfect health Number 18, that such a state resists and repels the assaults of the morbific influences and is therefore the best protective against disease. Number 19, that vaccination has utterly failed to fulfill the promises made for it by Jenner and his followers and that he saddled a legacy of disease and health upon the race for which he was paid $150,000 by the British government. Number 20, that compulsory vaccination ranks with human slavery and religious persecution as one of the most flagrant outrages upon the rights of the human race. Number 21, that Switzerland, England, Australia, and other enlightened countries abolished compulsory vaccination after it was tested and proved to be disastrous, but laws sanctioning this crime still did disgrace the statute books of free America. And finally, in the end of chapter 1, number 22, that reforms are not made by those who profit by them, so the doctors or the government cannot be depended upon to abolish the vaccination on their own volition that the people themselves must rise up and make demands for freedom from this curse of greed, ignorance, and destruction, for only then can we hope to see the light of a new day of health, progress, and harmonious adjustment. I appreciate you guys listening. Um, I'll try to get to Chapter 2 when I get a chance. Um, if you guys are even remotely interested, if not, it'll be great for me just to be able to record the book. So, anyway... I uh, appreciate your guys' time. Happy Friday. Thanks.